Volume Three, Part Twenty One of Herodotus Histories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Histories, Volume Three by Herodotus of Halicarnassus, translated by E. D. Godley, Part Twenty One. Artabazus, the son of Phernacus, was by now far on his way in his flight from Plataea. The Thessalians, when he came among them, entertained him hospitably and inquired of him concerning the rest of the army, knowing nothing of what had happened at Plataea. Artabazus understood that if he told them the whole truth about the fighting, he would endanger his own life and the lives of all those with him, for he thought that every man would set upon him if they heard the story. Therefore, although he had revealed nothing to the Phocians, he spoke as follows to the Thessalians. I myself, men of Thessaly, am pressing on with all speed and diligence to march into Thrace, being dispatched from the army for a certain purpose with the men whom you see. Mardonius and his army are expected marching close on my heels. It is for you to entertain him, and show that you do him good service, for if you so do, you will not afterwards regret it. So saying, he used all diligence to lead his army away straight towards Thrace, through Thessaly and Macedonia without any delay, following the shortest inland road. So he came to Byzantium, but he left behind many of his army who had been cut down by the Thracians, or overcome by hunger and weariness. From Byzantium he crossed over in boats. In such a way Artabazus returned to Asia. Now on the same way when the Persians were so stricken at Plataea, it happened that they suffered a similar fate at Mechale in Ionia. When the Greeks who had come in their ships with Letychidus the Lacedaemonian, were encamped at Delos, certain messengers came to them there from Samos, Lampan of Thrasyllus, Athenagoras, son of Archistratides, and, and Hegisistratus, son of Aristagoras. The Samians had sent these, keeping their dispatch secret from the Persians and the tyrant Theomester, son of Androdamus, whom the Persians had made tyrant of Samos. When they came before the generals, Hegisistratus spoke long and vehemently. If the Ionians but see you, he said, they will revolt from the Persians, and the barbarians will not remain. But if they do remain, you will have such a prey as never again. He begged them in the name of the gods of their common worship to deliver the Greeks from slavery and drive the barbarian away. That, he said, would be an easy matter for them, for if the Persian ships are unseaworthy and no match for yours, and if you have any suspicion that we may be tempting you deceitfully, we are ready to be taken in your ships as hostages. As the Samian stranger was pleading so earnestly, Bluticidus asked him whether it was that he desired to know for the sake of a presage, or through some happy chance of a god. Samian stranger, what is your name? Hegisistratus, he replied. Then Ludicidus cut short whatever else Hegistostratus had begun to say, and cried, I accept the omen of your name, Samian stranger. Now see to it that before you sail from here, you and those who are with you pledge that the Samians will be our zealous allies. He said this, and added deed to word. For straightway the Samians bound themselves by pledge and oath to alliance with the Greeks. This done, the rest sailed away, but Ludicidus bade Hegistostratus to sail with the Greeks, because of the good omen of his name. The Greeks waited through that day, and on the next they sought and received a favorable augury. Their diviner was Diphonus, son of Evaneus, a man of Apollonia, which is in the Ionian Gulf. 
this man's father Avinius had once fared as I will now relate. There is at Apollonia a certain flock sacred to the sun, which in the daytime is pastured beside the river Chon, which flows from the mountain called Lachmon through the lands of Apollonia, and empties into the sea by the harbour of Oricum. By night those townsmen who are most notable for wealth or lineage are chosen to watch it, each man serving for a year, for the people of Apollonia set great store by this flock, being so taught by a certain oracle. It is kept in a cave far distant from the town. Now at the time of which I speak, Ivanius was the chosen watchman. But one night he fell asleep, and wolves, coming past his guard into the cave, killed about sixty of the flock. When Ivanius was aware of it, he held his peace and told no man, intending to restore what was lost by buying others. This matter was not, however, hidden from the people of Apollonia, and when it came to their knowledge, they brought him to judgment, and condemned him to lose his eyesight for sleeping at his watch. So they blinded Evenius, but from the day of their so doing, their flocks bore no offspring, nor did their land yield fruit as before. Furthermore, a declaration was given to them at Dodona and Delphi, when they inquired of the prophets what might be the cause of their present ill. The gods told them, by their prophets, that they had done unjustly in blinding Evenius, the guard of the sacred flock. For we ourselves, they said, sent those wolves, and we will not cease from avenging him until you make such a restitution for what you did, as he himself chooses and approved. And we will not cease from avenging him until you make him such restitution for what you did, as he himself chooses and approves. When that is fully done, we ourselves will give Avenius such a gift as will make many men consider him happy. This was the oracle given to the people of Apollonia. They kept it secret, and charged certain of their townsmen to carry the business through. They acted as I will now show. Coming and sitting down by Evenius at the place where he sat, they spoke of other matters, till at last they fell to commiserating his misfortune. Guiding the conversation in this way, they asked him what compensation he would choose, if the people of Apollonia should promise to requit him for what they had done. He, knowing nothing of the oracle, said he would choose for a gift the lands of certain named townsmen, whom he thought to have the two fairest estates in Apollonia, and a house besides, which he knew to be the fairest in the town. Let him, he said, have possession of these, and he would lay aside his anger, and be satisfied with that by way of restitution. So he said this, and those who were sitting beside him said in reply, Evenius, the people of Apollonia hereby make you that restitution for the loss of your sight, obeying the oracle given them. At that he was very angry, for he learned through this the whole story, and saw that they had cheated him. They did, however, buy from the possessors, and give him what he had chosen, and from that day he had a natural gift of divination, through which he won fame. Dephonus, the son of this Evenius, had been brought by the Corinthians, and was the army's prophet. But I have heard it said before now, that Dephonius was not the son of Evenius, but made a wrongful use of that name, and worked for wages up and down Hellas. Having won favourable omens, the Greeks put out to sea from Delos for Samos. When they were now near Calamisa in the Samian territory, they anchored there near the temple of Hera, which is in those parts, and prepared for a sea-fight. The Persians, learning of their approach, also put out to sea and made for the mainland with all their ships, save the Phoenicians, whom they sent sailing away. It was determined by them in council that they would not do battle by sea, for they thought themselves overmatched, the reason of their making for the mainland was that they might be under the shelter of the army at Makela, 
which had been left by Xerxes' command, behind the rest of his host, to hold Ionia. There were sixty thousand men in it, and Tigranus, the noblest and tallest man in Persia, was their general. It was the design of the Persian admirals to flee to the shelter of that army, and there to beach their ships and build a fence round them, which should be a protection for the ships and a refuge for themselves. With this design they put to sea. So when they came past the temple of the goddesses at Michaela, to the Gason and Scolopois, where there is a temple of Eleusian Demeter, which was built by Philistus, son of Pasilchus, when he went with Nilius, son of Codrus, to the founding of Miletus, they beached their ships and fenced them round with stones and the trunks of orchard-trees which they cut down. They drove in stakes around the fence and prepared for siege or victory, making ready after consideration for either event. When the Greeks learned that the barbarians had gone off to the mainland, they were not all pleased that their enemy had escaped them, and did not know whether to return back or set sail for the Hellespont. At last they resolved that they would do neither, but sail to the mainland. Equipping themselves for this with gangways and everything else necessary for a sea-fight, they held their course for Michaela. When they approached the camp, no one put out to meet them. Seeing the ships beached within the wall, and a great host of men drawn up in array along the strand, Lutychides first sailed along in his ship, keeping as near to the shore as he could, and made this proclamation to the Ionians by the voice of a herald. "'Men of Ionia, you who hear us, understand what I say.' for by no means will the Persians understand anything I charge you with when we join battle. First of all, it is right for each man to remember his freedom, and next the battle-cry, Hebe, and let him who hears me tell him who has not heard it. The purpose of this act was the same as Themsidocles' purpose at Artemisium. Either the message would be unknown to the barbarians and would prevail with the Ionians, or if it were thereafter reported to the barbarians, it would cause them to mistrust their Greek allies." After this council of Ludicides, the Greeks brought their ships to land and disembarked on the beach, where they formed a battle-column. But the Persians, seeing the Greeks prepare for battle and exhort the Ionians, first of all took away the Samians' armor, suspecting that they would aid the Greeks. For indeed, when the barbarians' ships brought certain Athenian captives, who had been left in Attica and taken by Xerxes' army, the Samians had set them all free and sent them away to Athens with provisions for the journey. For this reason in particular they were held suspect, as having set free five hundred souls of Xerxes's enemies. Furthermore, they appointed the Miletians to guard the passes leading to the heights of Michaela, alleging that they were the best acquainted with that country. Their true reason, however, for so doing, was that the Miletians should be separate from the rest of their army. In such a matter the Persians safeguarded themselves from those Ionians, who they supposed might turn against them if opportunity were given for themselves they set their shields close to make a barricade. The Greeks, having made all their preparations, advanced their line against the barbarians. As they went, a rumor spread through the army, and a herald's wand was seen lying by the water-line. The rumor that ran was to the effect that the Greeks were victors over Mardonius's army at a battle in Boeotia. Now there are many clear indications of the divine ordering of things, seeing that a message, which greatly heartened the army and made it ready to face danger, arrived amongst the Greeks the very day on which the Persians' disaster at Plataea and that other which was to befall them at Michaela took place. Moreover, there was the additional coincidence that there were precincts of Aleutian Demeter on both battlefields. For at Plataea the fight was near the temple of Demeter, as I have already said, and so it was to be at Michaela also. 
It happened that the rumor of a victory won by the Greeks with Pausanias was true, for the defeat at Plataea happened while it was yet early in the day, and the defeat of Michaela in the afternoon. That the two fell on the same day of the same month was proven to the Greeks when they examined the matter not long afterwards. Now before this rumor came they had been faint-hearted, fearing less for themselves than for the Greeks with Pausanias, that Hellas should stumble over Mardonius. But when the report spread among them, they grew stronger and swifter in their onset. So Greeks and barbarians alike were eager for battle, seeing that the islands and the Hellespont were the prizes of victory. As for the Athenians, and those whose place was nearest them, that is, for about half of the line, their way lay over the beach in level ground. For the Lacedaemonians, and those that were next to them, their way lay through a ravine and among hills. While the Lacedaemonians were making a circuit, those others on the other wing were already fighting. As long as the Persian shields stood upright, they defended themselves and held their own in the battle, but when the Athenians and their neighbors in the line passed the word and went more zealously to work, that they and not the Lacedaemonians might win the victory, immediately the face of the fight changed. Breaking down the shields, they charged all together into the midst of the Persians, who received the onset and stood their ground for a long time, but at last fled within their wall. The Athenians, and Corinthians, and Sicyonians, and Trozenians, who were next to each other in the line, followed close after and rushed in together. But when the walled place had been raised, the barbarians made no further defense, but took to flight, all save the Persians, who gathered into bands of a few men, and fought with whatever Greeks came rushing within the walls. Of the Persian leaders, two escaped by flight, and two were killed. Artaintes and Ithanitres, who were admirals of the fleet, escaped. Mardonius and Tigranes, the general of the land army, were killed fighting. While the Persians still fought, the Lacedaemonians and their comrades came up and finished what was left of the business. The Greeks, too, lost many men there, notably the men of Sicyon and their general Perellus. As for the Samians, who served in the Median army and had been disarmed, they, seeing from the first that victory hung in the balance, did what they could in their desire to aid the Greeks. When the other Ionians saw the Samians set the example, they also abandoned the Persians and attacked the foreigners. The Persians had for their own safety appointed Miletians to watch the passes, so that if anything should happen to the Persian army, such as did happen to it, they might have guides to bring them safely to the heights of Michaela. This was the task to which the Miletians were appointed for the reason mentioned above, and so that they might not be present with the army and so turn against it. They acted wholly contrary to the charge laid upon them. They misguided the fleeing Persians by ways that led them among their enemies, and at last they themselves became their worst enemies and killed them. In this way Ionia revolted for the second time against the Persians. In that battle those of the Greeks who fought best were the Athenians, and the Athenian who fought best was one who practiced the Pancratium, Harmolochus, son of Euthonus. This Harmolochus, on a later day, met his death in a battle at Cyrnus in Charistus, during a war between the Athenians and Charistians, and lay dead on Gerestus. Those who fought best after the Athenians were the men of Corinth and Trozen and Sicyon. When the Greeks had made an end of most of the barbarians, either in battle or in flight, they brought out their booty onto the beach, and found certain stores of wealth. Then, after burning the ships and the whole of the wall, they sailed away. When they had arrived at Samos, they debated in council over the removal of all Greeks from Ionia, 
and in what Greek lands under their dominion it would be best to plant the Ionians, leaving the country itself to the barbarians. For it seemed impossible to stand on guard between the Ionians and their enemies for ever. If, however, they should not so stand, they had no hope that the Persians would permit the Ionians to go unpunished. In this matter the Peloponnesians who were in charge were for removing the people from the lands of those Greek nations which had sided with the Persians, and giving their land to the Ionians to dwell in. The Athenians disliked the whole plan of removing the Greeks from Ionia, or allowing the Peloponnesians to determine the lot of Athenian colonies, and as they resisted vehemently, the Peloponnesians yielded. It accordingly came about that they admitted to their alliance the Samians, Chians, Lesbians, and all other islanders who had served with their forces, and bound them by pledge and oaths to remain faithful, and not desert their allies. When the oaths had been sworn, the Greeks set sail to break the bridges, supposing that these still held fast. So they laid their course for the Hellespont. The few barbarians who escaped were driven to the heights of Michaela, and made their way from there to Sardis. While they were making their way along the road, Masistes, son of Darius, who happened to have been present at the Persian disaster, reviled the admiral Artaintes very bitterly, telling him, with much beside, that such generalship as his proved him worse than a woman, and that no punishment was too severe for the harm he had done the king's estate. Now it is the greatest of all taunts in Persia to be called worse than a woman. These many insults angered Artaintes so much that he drew his sword upon Masistes to kill him. But Xenagoras, son of Praxilus, of Halicarnassus, who stood behind Artaintes himself, saw him run at Masistes, and caught him round the middle and lifted and hurled him to the ground. In the meantime, Masistes's guards had also come between them. By doing so, Xenagoras won the gratitude of Masistes himself and Xerxes for saving the king's brother. For this deed he was made ruler of all Cilicia by the king's gift. Then they went on their way without anything further happening, and came to Sardis. End of Volume 3, Part 21